VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Times Football Editor Tony Evans, Times Qualified Referee Allison Rudd, and Times Stud on the Phone Tom Dart to discuss all the latest football action. Today we'll be focusing on Chelsea's win over Arsenal, Blackpool inflicting misery at Anfield, and Mr. Carl Henry and Mr. Nigel de Jong. We're going to kick it off with uh, the big game at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, it was a 2-0 victory for Chelsea, and I think it was a pretty big win because now Arsenal, seven points behind Chelsea. You don't want to say it's too early for anybody to drop out of the title race, but it is a bit of a, a, of a body blow, isn't it, Tony? Yeah, I mean, there's no title race. The reality is Chelsea are the only team that can stop Chelsea winning it. And, you know, we got a good example of it yesterday. I mean, they've been beaten by Man City and they're still clear at the top, you know, they're, I mean, they're a good side, and Arsenal had all the ball, and Chelsea, you know, Chelsea just did what they had to do, Drogba, you know, is, is a fantastic player, and um, his physical, you know, influence just, uh, uh, he, he dominates, doesn't he, and Ashley Cole is probably one of the, the few world-class players uh, who play in the Premier League. Um, uh, oh, sorry, did you say side? one of the few world-class players who play in the Premier League? Is that yeah, what you meant did, to say? yeah, yeah. You don't mean one of the few world-class English players, one of the few world-class... No, I mean one of the few world-class players. Wow, that's a damning indictment, isn't it, Allison? Yeah, have you been watching this league lately? Is it that bad? I think so. It's you're not, you're, Don't compare it's the best league in the world, then. No, it's all not. <laughs> hey, Tom, people give away the ball all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's all 90 miles an hour. There's no change of pace. There's no tactics. It's, it's actually... It, it, it's almost anti. It's developing more and more anti-football. Tom, are you going to stick up for the Premier League? Oh, I am. It's uh, thrilling, exciting. You know, it doesn't have to be beautiful, does it? As uh, Arsenal showed yesterday, there's a limit to how useful and how uh, effective beautiful football is. So uh, why not uh, relish the uh, the excitement and the pace? The pace just gets high quicker and quicker, and uh, it's certainly exciting. What's what's wrong with being exciting? It doesn't have to be. Uh, doesn't have to be like a game of chess, does it? Well, no, but I mean, you you can temper the excitement with a little bit of craft. And what we're seeing is uh, the loss of traditional skills like passing and keeping hold of the ball at the expense of physicality. And I don't think it's a good thing. Right, but, but that's not an indictment you could throw at Arsenal, is it? No, no, not at all. And, and you know, so I've gone off the subject as usual. I mean, I'm talking about the league in general because you asked me about world class players right. in this league. Actually. I like watching both Arsenal and Chelsea. It were two good teams. Alison? 
Oh, God, I hardly know where to begin. Well, I was, I was at, I was at White Hart Lane on Saturday, and I defy any league in the world to come up with a game that had everything that one did. It was played at a furious pace. Both teams played incredibly attacking, uh, and there was that lovely combination of lots of skill, a class player winning it in the end, and little stories emerging all over the pitch. I just. I, t- Tony, you're bonkers. That that's what people. That's what surely what fans want. You, it's breathless, and you couldn't really predict what was going to happen. And there was lots of people. And I would actually argue that the league is better this season because I've spotted teams that okay, they're what are they going to do? They might go down. They might finish mid table, and they keep producing beautiful uh, passages of play. And I'm I'm often saying my you know Martin Petrov the other week um, against Man United I thought that's the best pass I've seen all season you don't it come, can come from anywhere it's not it's not just Chelsea or, or an Arsenal who play good football every team is capable of, of good football this season uh, Alison enthusiastically watching Wigan Wolves before uh, uh, catching Spurs in the Villa but um, I I, actually, I, I watch the Spurs Villa game myself I don't want to digress on that point I. I I agree it was there were a lot of skillful players on show but I also think everything was kind of tempered by the fact that there were also a lot of absentees from both teams and they kind of it, it was everything was sort of thrown together as evidenced by the fact that Tom Huddleston played center half but I, I probably shouldn't digress on Spurs and Villa I but but to, to go back to Chelsea Arsenal I I thought Arsenal played very well and I thought this game could have taken a very different turn if some of those chances had gone in early. No, I, th- I think Arsenal should take quite a lot of heart from... There's two ways of looking at it. One is they just can't beat Chelsea and they play one way and it doesn't seem to work for them and they can't beat the bigger teams in the Premiership. There's one way of looking at it. It's the same old, same old. The other way of looking at it is they were without a lot of players and crucially, again, without Fabregas and yet they did knit... They managed to cope quite well without him and they knitted together well and they... Uh, looked mentally quite strong, um, and there wasn't really a lot of difference. I, I mean, you, I always felt you know the, the heaviest team in the Premiership were facing the lightest team in the Premiership, and that was going to show in the end, and it did. Ramirez thanks you, by the way, for calling him heavy. Tony, well, I think uh, it's the Arsene Wenger argument about moral victories, isn't it? You know, it's uh, Chelsea bought all their trophies, and when they win, whinge, whinge, whinge. The fact is, they got beat by Chelsea. You know, and they had a lot of the ball, and they couldn't put it away. You know, there were chances there. Shamak had a good chance. You know, they've got to be more clinical. They haven't addressed a couple of the problems that they've had for years, uh, putting the ball in the net. Um, uh, they don't do that with enough regularity. And, you know, I really don't like uh, some of those defenders for Arsenal. It's, um, you know, they, they, they're not physical enough. Um, but, you know, it, uh, yeah, you can't say Arsenal plays well, but I, I don't think Wenger should take any pleasure out of that, getting beat 2 0 there. Uh, Tom, do you get a sense? I mean, with Arsenal, is there another gear that they go to when the injured guys come back? Um, and, and what part of what I mean by that is obviously, you know, with Van Persie there, you have presumably a better finisher than than, than Sharmak. Um and with Sess there, you have more leadership. Although I think it remains to be seen whether Sesk and Wilshire can operate effectively in the same midfield. But is it as simple as that, or is there something fundamentally lacking with Arsenal, in your opinion? I think when Van Persie's back, what will happen is they will beat the lesser teams even more comprehensively than they usually do, but still lose to the uh, the the, uh, the bigger teams, the rivals. If you look at their their record against the top teams over the past couple of years, it's it's uh, it's, it's very poor, and that's even with fully fit teams. The, the worrying thing for Arsenal is, is a pattern that's just set in now. Every season, every time they play Chelsea or 
It's, it's, it's like the Orwell, Orwell line from 1984 of a boot stamping on a human face forever whenever Chelsea play, uh, <laughs> whenever Chelsea play Arsenal. Yeah, it's uh, no matter how spirited Arsenal could be, no matter how much love and uh, you know passion they could put into it, and how uh, how uh, artistic and lofty their aims are, you know, the Chelsea big brother will always always slap them down and uh, and subdue them because uh, Chelsea know how to win, Arsenal don't, and uh, it's just uh, we say this about Arsenal every year, don't we? It's just a uh, the same old stuff, the pattern is true, the die is being cast no matter what Arsenal do. Well, uh, Robin Van Persie, if you were listening, that vote of confidence comes to you courtesy of Tom Dart. But uh, it, it, this idea of Arsenal not knowing how to win, is that, I mean, look, Wenger's there, Pat Rice is there, those those guys were there seven years ago or uh, when Arsenal went the entire season undefeated. Uh, I mean, are you buying this "don't know how to win" argument, or is it simple, more you know, more simple to to do with the, 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 their style of play, or or whatever, or the lack of physicality, or whatever? No, we co- we come back actually to the point I was making about the pace of the game in this country, and it's the the, the reason for the game being like I think on the decline is Wenger's fault because what Wenger did is he created a side that played football faster and better than anyone had ever done before they, they passed the ball with such pace and such pre- precision they murdered people you know through the early years of the, the Wenger period unfortunately everyone else caught up and what they caught up with was not the, the talent the passing and the ability they caught up with the physicality so everything goes at 100 miles an hour together but doesn't have the pattern Arsenal got, and people can stop Arsenal playing that way because they can do everything as fast as them. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so probably best to move on to Liverpool and Blackpool. Um, I'm going to start with this by addressing the person here who is not a Liverpool supporter, um, apart from myself, uh, and that is you, Tom Dart. Liverpool in the relegation zone. Yep. Uh, uh, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> this point in the season it's absolutely ridiculous that so they should uh, just uh, I was at the uh, the press room at Manchester City yesterday as this, this game was going on and there was kind of an open mouth disbelief as we were following the score uh, and uh, final whistle it was uh, you know did that really happen you yeah. know just like just like I was in the press room at Chelsea a couple of weeks ago uh, following uh, following a certain penalty shootout against a certain League 2 uh, stragglers and uh, did that really happen as well and uh, it just uh, just seems so unreal uh, that Liverpool are struggling so badly. Uh, when they have appointed a man who we, we were all in the media bigging up as uh, as a genius uh, last oh. May, when he took, well, I think so. Maybe not you, Gabriel, but uh, most of us. And uh, a man at least, who was at least regarded as a safe pair of hands, an experienced, wise old head, who would, uh, yeah perhaps not take Liverpool to the top four, but at least uh, keep them out of the bottom three, you would have thought. <laughs> I, I, I like Roy Hodgson um, as a person. And uh, yes, I, you're correct. I wasn't picking him up. I, I did make the point that um, also within the context of England managers, if you're going to appoint an England manager, um, Roy Hodgson is probably one of the top three or four English candidates. But, you know, given that the other ones uh, who'd be at or near the top are... Steve Bruce and Harry Redknapp and, according to some people, David Beckham and Alan Shearer, I think that about says it all, but that doesn't make, make him right for Liverpool in this context, and I personally didn't think he was right for Liverpool. Here's a person who I suspect was also not part of bigging up Roy. Um, Tony? Well, the, the thing with Roy Hodgson is that the majority of the problems that happen at Anfield are not his fault. 
what Roy Hodgson's problem is, is that he is not a Liverpool manager. He doesn't understand where it takes to be a Liverpool manager. He doesn't understand anything about the club and the sense of what it's about. And he was appointed by two two men, Christian Perslow, who 18 months ago was an equity trader in the city. And we know what the city have done. They nearly brought down capitalism. And um, Martin Broughton, the chairman of British Airways, runs so wonderfully that, you know, they're turning over profits and the staff are very happy. They was appointed by two people with less than two years' experience in football to be manager of Liverpool oh, Football Club. Steady there. Martin Broughton's been a, a Chelsea fan for, for many years. Yeah, that's an experience <laughs> of football. Which yes, helps a lot exactly. at Anfield. So... You know, so I mean, Ray Hudson come in, you know, and and he, he he come into a situation that he could never retrieve, and he hasn't made a very good job, uh, a very good fist of trying to retrieve it. So uh, in one way, I feel sorry for him, but he, he's not good enough. Get him out of there. Alison, well, well, time to pull the plug on Roy. What he's done well, is he's gone to Liverpool, accepting it's a dire club, it's a club in dire circumstances. It's as though he misunderstood what the job title was. And, he, you know, it, there are ownership issues and um, legacy issues um, the team inherited and, and, and so on. And it wasn't it wasn't doing incredibly well when he arrived there. And, and he seems to think it's acceptable to let it sink and slowly rebuild. And I don't know. He's an intelligent bloke and I don't he's a really intelligent bloke. And I have no idea why he thinks that is the way to proceed at Liverpool. It is actually utterly astonishing how much he has not got. He doesn't get what you can do. Accepting all that's wrong with the club at the moment, a manager who got it would go into that dressing room and say, we are the mighty Liverpool. We are five time European champions. We have got Steven Gerrard in this team. We, we have got a spine. We have got the greatest fans in the world. And let's show them that we can cope when the, the ownership issues are difficult and go out there and show everyone what we are made of. Instead, they go out there and act as if they don't really know what, 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 who they're playing for or why they're. It's really odd that he hasn't got it. Uh, Alison, sorry, you, you said before Tony jumped in there, but you said he seems content to let it sink. I mean, certainly his transfers this summer wouldn't suggest that. I mean, you know, if I bring in a guy named Christian Poulsen uh, at his age, it's because I want to win now, not in five years' time, because he won't be there. Same thing with Joe Cole. I mean, if he were content to let the team sink and rebuild, he certainly would have brought in a whole bunch of young players and, and ditched more veterans, right? As some people might have advocated. So I, I don't know what you can say that he came in with the idea that the team would sink and rise again in a few years' time. No, I don't. I, obviously, no manager actually wants to go into the bottom three. But it's, it, it's it's as though he has a high enough opinion of himself and how long he would be given in the job that there is no urgency that he can do things the Roy Hodgson way, as, just as if it was Fulham. I mean, at Fulham, Fulham struggled when he was there for a while, but nobody minded. You know, it was fine for Fulham to be in the relegation zone and almost go down. That was fine. Well, he could I'm, do that, and then he could rebuild. That's I, fine. Alfa Ed minded to the point of basically offering the job to Mancini um, and then all of a sudden he turns it round. I mean, th- 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 this is a man who inherited the squad with, as Alison quite rightly says, Pepe Reina, who's as good a goalkeeper as there is in the world, um, Stephen Gerrard, who is a, we're told is a world-class midfielder, and I've seen him over the years, he's all right, and Fernando Torres, who can put the ball in the net. If I inherited those three players in any team, I can get journeymen round them and make them play and get them in the top ten of this Premier League. Tom, your, your opinion on what Tony just said, if Tony inherited uh, 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 those three players and had journeymen around them? 
Could he take them yeah. into the top ten in any league in the world? Provided the atmosphere of the club wasn't rotten from the top down and there was a fundamentally poisonous uh, situation distracting everyone and uh, yeah sorry, and, but, sorry, uh, causing... I, sorry Tom I, I'm going to put you up on this one too I, 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 I know we in the media we write this all the time and we say this right and uh, I guess none of us have been professional footballers but the ones I talk to when they talk about the, the, the especially maybe not the ones at, at Liverpool I imagine people like, like, like Carragher and Steven Gerrard are very emotionally invested in the club but I, I somehow can't imagine Milan Jovanovic goes into the training every day and says, uh, I, I can't train properly today because there's this poisonous atmosphere around the club and I'm really worried about what Perslow or Hicks are going to do. Did you really think it, it translates so much to the average rank-and-file professional footballer at, at Liverpool? Well, no, I don't. I, actually, this is what I wanted to ask uh, Tally and Alison. Why, why does Liverpool's history matter and why is that stopping them from beating Blackpool and why does Hodgson have to do it you know with due respect to Shankly who's been dead for 30 years and uh, why why should this legacy necessarily matter to the here and now why can't Hodgson do it his way uh, pragmatically what why well, let, let, why let, is this let, history history throw, seems to be infecting the club what, what's the what's the significance he should look to the future not to the that, past yeah, let's throw almost all the history out the window almost all the history and say three years ago this was a club that was in the European Cup final. Two years ago, it finished second. Yeah. So, I mean, forget the history. I mean, this is a club that's been systematically run down and asset stripped. And it, 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 it's and the, the politics behind the scene have helped no one. I mean, th this is a club that's lost its way completely. This is a club, as I say, that's been running by two city boys with less than two years experience in football each. Uh, this, this, this is a club that has lost a sense of itself of being a football club. So, but, you know, why should they beat Blackpool? Because, well, they've got Fernando Suarez, they've got, um, you know, they've got England's uh, uh, Sturman Fielder and lately the England captain, and they've got, you know, they've got the England fullback, I can go on, they've got uh, Pepe Reina, that's why they should be, and what, what they've got, what they haven't got, is a manager who knows how to put the team out and get them to play. Uh, uh, but the, but the point Surely, to... if, they, if those players are so good, they shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily need... Hodgson to set them up in whether he sets them up in a four-four-two or a four-five-one or whatever, they should be able to beat Blackpool or via their own motivation and their own experience and their own talent. Surely, no, well, no. The very first thing you need in football, more than the players, is managers. The great managers win over and over again with different teams, with different players. They take the players they've got and they mould them into teams that can win. Uh, the bad managers hold hands up. Okay, hey, sorry, hey, Alison, I, just, I want to get you on this because Tony said last couple of years, you know, these two city managers have run, uh, or these two boys from the city have, have run the club into the ground. But I believe, you know, I'm not sure Liverpool's last league title was even in Tom Dart's lifetime. Um, this has been going on before. It's, you know, we can blame Perslow and, and, and Broughton and Hicks and Gillette for very recent history, but... The Malay certainly goes back before to Perry and, and David Moores and, you know, and your friend Graham Soonis. I mean, could you even draw a line in the sand and it dates back to when Kenny Dalglish left? You can. You draw a line in soil and cement, if you like, there. Yeah, but, I mean... The so it's not it's, well, fault. no, no. Well, it, it, it's a, it's really complicated. I mean, you, it, you can write, and they have been written. There are, there are about eighty books about the history of Liverpool and why the history of Liverpool matters. Tom, I think the point about the history is that if you inherit Liverpool Club, if you're allowed to manage Liverpool Football Club, you've got an added 
benefit that very few other clubs will, will have, which is that history. It's like having, you know, um, the 13th man. It's, 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 you've got the crowd and then you've got the history. Wow, that's two extra big bonus points there that, you've, that are on your side. Liverpool have, haven't won the league for a long time, but they've managed to retain the dignity of being a big club um, that played attractive football and had fans around the world because of that history and um, lots of the victories in Europe. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Were about the team believing that that history mattered, and so I think it's actually it's not something that's little and silly and something that fans bleat on about. It's actually uh, something you you can touch and feel. The history matters. It actually wins you games and brings you brings in money to the club because people want to watch the mighty Liverpool. They have an aura about them, and if you're not careful, that aura will just vanish if we keep having performances like we did yesterday. I think you can give a a, a real example. In um, 2007, the semi-final against Chelsea, Chelsea won one nil at Stamford Bridge and had to go to Anfield. I spent the whole week in London walking around saying to Chelsea fans, one's not enough, you've got to go to Anfield. And you could see they were scared. You could see it affected the Chelsea team. The Chelsea team admitted it, actually. Hmm? They they said that they, they walked into a wall of, of history. So it does matter, Tom. Despite I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but uh, uh, it certainly, certainly affected Blackpool because they raised their game apparently partly because of it when they went to Anfield yesterday. I thought it was interesting the Blackpool defence because in the first half Blackpool played really well and they played the natural game. I think after half time, I think they felt a bit of that weight of history and I think they sat back too deep and invited Liverpool in, which allowed people like Kyriakos to, to get onto the ball there. Um, I, thought, I think in the last 15 minutes, I think they realised what they were doing and started breaking and, and broke very effectively. I, I was very impressed with Black, Black, Blackpool and very impressed with Holloway. Yeah, let's uh, just quick, quickly. We we have to to talk about Holloway a little bit because it seems to me that um, when we talk about Blackpool, you know, it's all this folkloristic Holloway stuff, and he is a manager who, because of his personality, uh, uh, sort of dominates a lot of the narrative on the uh, of the actual team. But um, Tom, can you just run us through what players make Blackpool good apart from Charlie Adam? Apart from Charlie Adam, well, the, the goalkeeper Jilks is uh, increasingly impressive. Last season, uh, DJ Campbell, of course, signed on loan and scored the goals that, that took them up. 
Baptiste uh, and the defender is, has been impressive this season, although he's injured. Uh, you have, uh, apart from that, it's mainly uh, mainly spirit. You know, people like Gary Taylor Fletcher is just a great story because I remember watching him playing for Leighton Orient ten years ago, and he he was completely useless for Leighton Orient, and now he's uh, threading passes in behind the uh, the defence at Anfield. But, uh, it is clear. It is clear that fundamentally, Adam Adam makes everything tick, uh, both for his passing and his uh, and his goal scoring ability. Is he the best? And, and Barney looks like a good signing as well. He he was impressive yesterday. Is uh, Gary Taylor Fletcher the best player with uh, um, a double bear last name not named Sean in the Premier League, Allison? <laughs> <laughs> There, there, are, there are far too many double-barreled names in the Premiership for my liking. It's football, for goodness sake. I'm sorry, you referred to it as the Premiership, and I think so did I. Uh, I having spent the uh, uh, some time last week in the company of uh, the people who run the uh, professional game in this country. Uh, I was reminded that we should never call it Premiership. It should only be referred to as the Barclays Premier League. I'm only ever going to refer to it as the top flight. They can all stuff themselves. <laughs> This brings us to our debate this week, and I apologize again, those of us like me who were looking forward to our uh, uh, debate about footballers and philanthropy and charitable works, but um, this weekend saw two, uh, I thought, uh, really nasty tackles with far-reaching consequences, uh, potentially. Uh, and I'm talking about Carl Henry on uh, Jordi Gomez and Nigel De Jong on, uh, on, on Hatem Ben Arfa. Now, I, 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 want, I want to establish, first of all, is... Is there a common thread to these two, or, or should should we just not treat them as as the same thing? Or I mean, are these two two types of tackles cut from the same cloth, Alison? Yes, they are. I I would say um, I know one got a red card and one was ignored by the referee, and I think a lot of the commentary afterwards was, oh, well, there's there's one tackle where, oh, well, that's just football and lucky, and the other one was, oh, Wolves, they're just so dirty, and what's Mick McCarthy going to do about it? And it's a disgrace the way they, they're, they're piling up the um, offences. But actually, what happens a lot is I think there are enforcers. Managers are l- delighted to have enforcers in their team, and they go out, and this has been happening, for, I mean, I'm older than Tom, but, you know, since I was a child... I was almost brought up that that's part of, of, of the ABC of football. You impose your um, physicality on on the opposition as early as you can, and there's always at least one player in every team who has that reputation. Every every single team has one apart from Arsenal. Uh, they have um, someone who goes out there and makes you just feel a little bit wobbly, you know. And De Jong, I think, probably relishes the fact that he had a reputation after the World Cup, and his manager is delighted that he's seen as the hard man of Man City. And I think... That tackle was extra hard, extra biting. And when people say it's unnecessary, tackling obviously is necessary in football. But it was just about Man City saying we, we have we have someone who is is, is, is is quite dominant in midfield and we're gonna show it. And I think for as long as as long as you have managers who condone that and are actually quite delighted to have players like that, you will all, you will we are increasingly going to get broken bones. To, to be fair, we should make this very clear that Mick McCarthy after the game, you know, while he did come out and give the whole he's not that sort of player spiel, he did say there was no question about it. It was a straight. Well, yeah, he could, because because about. he's undermined the whole that that whole philosophy, hasn't he? If you go too far, there was there was there was there's no subtlety about it. There was no getting away with it. You know, there's a there's a feeling that if you do a bad a, a, t- a tough tackle early in a game, a referee will let it go or 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 say next time, Sonny, you you are gonna 
haul you up on that. There's a sort of unwritten rule that you can get away with more in the early part of a game, and that's when you try and stamp your authority on a Especially game. Especially if Howard Webb is officiating because he doesn't want to spoil the game. Sorry, well, that was yeah. gratuitous. Uh, well, there, but that is a general philosophy in football, and uh, and and so um, Mick McCarthy is 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 obviously livid because Wolves a lot of their football is based on physicality and you, it's not going to work if you're down to 10 men and it's not going to work if it's as unsubtle as Carl Henry's was. Tony? I, I, I mean, I think it's, again, a consequence of the pace of the game being played. You know, people are flying around at such speed and they're, they're going to be missing balls, they're going to be hitting people. I thought both tackles were absolutely dreadful. In many ways, um, you, you know, the Carl Henry one was horrible. He wasn't even in the same postcodes as the ball, you know, so he, he was so late. But I, I think the young one was worse because the damage was done with the trailing leg. It's not the foot that's going in supposedly to win the ball. It's the trailing leg that but, swings through but afterwards. Tony, I, I, I went, I saw that on uh, on television, and I heard the person say that he played the ball. Well, you know what? They, they can say what they like. That trailing leg come through and hit the man. It was never going for the ball. It hit the man. And the, when the trailing leg comes through, often the only reason to do it is to kick a man. I know, I've done it. Tom, um, having played football with you, I, I know you you probably haven't done anything like that, but is, is that, I mean, did, do you actually see intent and, 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 and malice with, with, with a trailing leg? I mean, is there a way to tackle without bringing your leg across to, um, to hurt your, your opposing player? Yeah, if you, look at, if you look at the way De Jong tackled yesterday, if you look at a still of it, he's, he's horizontal, he's on the ground, he, he doesn't stand up, he goes down, sticks his leg out and brings his trailing leg in around almost like he's he's uh, chopping Ben Arthur like like he's a pair of scissors um, it's completely unnecessary given the context uh, where both players are stuck in traffic Ben Arthur is going nowhere I think uh, the difference between the two tackles is Henry's was just ridiculously horrendously mistimed and complete misguided over exuberance whereas De Jong uh, I think knew exactly what he was doing and executed it how he wanted to of course he didn't want to break Ben Arthur's leg, but he did, as Alison uh, suggested, want to send a message how, how tough he is, that he's an enforcer, the kind of thing that Roy Keane used to love doing, you know, the reducer to, to scare and intimidate a, a more talented, quicker, smarter, smarter player. And that, that's, that's a form of, it's a form of thuggery. I know it's interesting because we bring this up and obviously I don't want to go reopen the can of worms debate with Arsene Wenger versus Allardyce and Pulis because I know there's a lot of sort of gamesmanship that go, that goes into that. Um, I don't remember a tackle, incidentally, by a Blackburn player this year on that level, or indeed by by a Stoke player this year that was as nasty as either of these two that, that we've seen today. Um, and I think we should mention that. Um, but I, I think, as I see it, the physicality that, that I associate with being an enforcer isn't necessarily those tackles. It's the constant niggliness. It's it's just the landing a shoulder. It's the it's 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 the doing stuff like that, which is just as unpleasant, but isn't dangerous. And for me personally, what I have a problem with is things which are dangerous. Mm. Uh, and that was my problem with with, with the shot cross on Ramsey. It, what he did was very dangerous. And you know we have laws against dangerous plays, and there's no issues of intent. But the De Jong tackle and the Carl Henry tackle, I mean, this isn't just dangerous. Is you've got really no chance and, and you know just what you're doing and uh, and so the, the question comes to me is should there be some kind of retroactive uh, way of dealing with it I mean I, I think in the De Jong case can he be cited Tony well uh, the, the FA will be looking at it today I hope so 
because I mean that's just a. I mean in theory you can't because the referee oh no he can't he can't because the referee didn't, referee didn't do because the referee yeah, didn't give didn't, anything didn't give anything yet so so let's hope he comes down like a ton of bricks on him because he deserves it now, I say, I can't resist and what you're hearing now is a page of me turning the pages because I'm, I'm trying to remember who the referee was in uh, in in that game Martin Atkinson Martin Atkinson so I, I need to ask the, uh, the qual- present qualified referee <laughs> did Martin Atkinson get that decision wrong uh, yeah he did okay yeah. There you go. Sorry, Martin. There is. It, it, I mean, I'm, I was sort of surprised he got it wrong because it's quite. I mean, you know, I'm. You keep calling me a qualified referee. I don't referee at a high level, so you know, I've had a very basic training. Have and, you seen and tackles the, like that in games you've officiated? No, no, because it doesn't. People aren't under that sort of pressure to. It, no, no, and it's mainly children that I look at. <laughs> but and I'd really be disappointed if an eight-year-old did that to another eight-year-old. But there is, it is very clear when you, you know, the very basics of training are that there are tackles, and you know, lots of tackles are just great and fine, and the the, the opponent might fall over, but that's okay. But then you have to look out for a tackle that's reckless, and at the very least, that was a reckless tackle and deserved a yellow card. Um, and I think. You know, if, had he had he been watching carefully, he'd have realised it was dangerous. But uh, at the very, very least, you know, at the, the minimum, um, be, being a, you know even a crazy De Jong fan, you could say that was reckless. Um, it wasn't a tackle; it was a lunge. I think. I think uh, maybe we should have a FIFA rule where you get an automatic yellow card if you uh, if you go to ground when you tackle because you're lunging. You should encourage people to stand up and tackle from a, an upright position where people where opponents won't get injured. Wait, 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 so what are you talking about? You have to be upright to tackle. Is this what you're what you're suggesting? No, no more slide tackling. Yeah, no, not when not when it's as dangerous as yesterday's and Saturday's uh, games have proved. No more, no more completely reckless tackles when a tackler ends up, you know, almost like he's a, doing a karate kick with both legs, both studs up, hurtling towards the shins of the opponent who's uh, simply too wouldn't quick it, and too clever for it. Things to be, just punish the people who do these things, just punish them properly, and then, you know, people would think twice, a six-game ban for De Jong would not be unacceptable to me. As long as it's afterwards, because you don't want to send them off during the game, because, of course, as Howard Webb might say, <laughs> we don't want to spoil the game. And also, I mean, Tom, to be fair, I mean... I think one of the beautiful elements of football is a is a well timed tackle that where the defender yeah, has well, to go well, to ground, tackle. but he hooks his foot round the ball, and he you know on, on those occasions where they hook the foot round the ball and then win the ball and get up and pass it, that that's one they're they're the gems of football, don't you think? Uh, I like tackles when the uh, the forward's trying to trick his way past the defender, and the defender reads reads the forward's move, six side leg, nicks the ball out of you know, past him, then collects the ball. Not not tackles when. Uh, a defender just lunges, just kind of jumps into the uh, into the forward, hoping that he might connect with the ball, and maybe he connect, maybe he gets the ball, maybe he doesn't. But uh, either way, both people are on the floor. Well, I, I, at the very least, uh, as some people might say, he would let the uh, opposing player know he was there. All right, time now for some quick hits. I Tom, I don't know if you remember this, but the rule is you have 25 seconds to answer. If you don't answer within 25 seconds, I will start blowing this rather annoying duck whistle, like so. <laughs> See, that is unpleasant. That, that is annoying. That is annoying, exactly. Like you don't want that to happen. I like it. <laughs> All right, let's get rolling. 
So Alex Ferguson rests Dimitar Berbatov and relies on Kiko Makeda and uh, the artist formerly known as Michael Owen up front. Uh, it was a bad idea. Uh, Tony, was this too much tinkering from Sir Alex? Um, or is it just a case that United are just not that good right now? Well, I think it, it's fair to say that it's the worst United squad in about 15 years. Um, I don't think they're that good. Um, I don't know what his mindset was not playing Berbatov. He was just a run of form after all this time. And I don't think Makeda is up to it. And I don't think he plays Michael Owen the right way. So, yeah, he got it wrong. Maybe he was resting Dimitar Berbatov for the upcoming international break. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like many people last night, I watched uh, um, the BBC documentary uh, by Gary Lineker about whether England can win the World Cup. Um, so I'm going to throw the same question over to you, Tom. Can England win the World Cup? Well, they could, but they won't. <laughs> uh, I think I've, I'm gonna, after what happened in the summer, I'm just going to give up uh, hoping and praying and, and even expecting that England win with, will win the World Cup and just accept that uh, it, it's happened once. Uh, it won't happen again in my lifetime. Uh, no matter how good uh, we might be, other teams will always be better and there'll always be a, an Achilles heel that will uh, end up uh, costing England dearly, no matter all the optimism what? and the, all the belief. Wonderfully positive from Mr. Dart. You know, but here's an idea. Uh, given that the uh, top team in the Premier League have an Italian manager and so do the second top team in the Premier League, maybe England should go out and get... Oh, yeah, you've done that. Sorry. <laughs> Hatem Benarfa gets himself injured. Andy Carroll has a raft of issues, which we're not allowed to talk about. The referee awards a controversial penalty, which Carlos Tevez converts, and Newcastle go down 2-1, following an Adam Johnson wonder goal. Allison, why are the gods conspiring against George Colkin's Toon Army? Uh, well, then, the, the gods quite like Newcastle. They allow them to come back up with absolute ease, um, so the gods don't mind them at all. Um, they were incredibly unlucky. Um, it's it's rare where where um, I think you analyse the match afterwards and you can see quite clearly that the the big decisions went against them. Um, they, they clearly should have been awarded a penalty. The penalty that went against them was highly debatable, and they played well. Birmingham City lose at home for the first time in ages. It was two 0 against Everton, and a minority of fans vented their fury on Big Eck Alex McLeish booing him at the final whistle. Uh, Tony, is this? fair criticism? I thought it was very harsh really, considering uh, all that's happened in Birmingham and how well he's done there and you know how well the home record is plus he was promised money he never, he never got I mean he must be wondering whether it's the right place for him to be um, if I was him I would be I wonder if he's wondering whether he'd rather have Gold, Sullivan and Brady back at this point This next one's very simple Mr. Dart Leicester City and Sven Joran Eriksson Please discuss A match made in hell probably uh, I'm sure Sven's delighted to be back in the East Midlands uh, so soon after it went so brilliantly for him at Notts County. Uh, tie owners again, uh, like at Man City. Uh, it's just uh, baffling how he keeps getting jobs. I mean, why, why should someone of his reputation standing uh, accept uh, to go to a club struggling in the in the Championship, uh, with, especially with Milan Mandaric, you know, eight eight managers in three years. The answer is very simple. I keeps coming back because he genuinely loves football and has a passion for it. Raphael van der Vaart impressed in Tottenham's 2-1 win over Aston Villa. But his position on the pitch seems to be a bit of a problem, with Harry Redknapp himself saying that he wanders up and down the field. Um, Alison, is this necessarily a bad thing? And what can Harry do to fix it? Um, well, it's not... It's not- it's not, it was hilarious actually because they were very lopsided uh, for the first half because Van der Vaart but for some reason Harry decided to let him try try and put him on the right and he had no intention of staying there 
It's not just about Van der Vaart, though. It is also about Gareth Bale. The way you solve having Van der Vaart behind two strikers is is to have a narrow uh, midfield behind, and that would mean Gareth Bale had nowhere to go. So he has to he has to make two his two most effective players, Bale and Van der Vaart, work, um, and and build the team around them, and and they're good enough to do that. Yes. Yeah, Gabriel, there's one for you. Barcelona, L's one one by Mallorca at home at the weekends. And Real won 1-6-1. Finally, the, the slew of goals that the uh, Bernabeu wanted from a Mourinho team. Um, is La Liga swinging towards Mourinho? Um, well, compared to Barcelona, perhaps a little bit. But let's not forget, we're being a little bit disrespectful towards a Valencia, top of the table, uh, despite all their debt. And, of course, Villarreal in second place. What is remarkable about Mourinho, it's been an interesting week, he's complained that... Uh, um, uh, or he's been the, the object of criticism because he hasn't had as many open uh, training sessions as, in, uh, as he has in the past. And somebody pointed out, you know, Real Madrid won nine European Cups before he got there by having regular open training sessions. But evidently the special one uh, feels that he should have closed sessions um, to win the next one. And uh, the 6-1 result kind of maybe proves him right. Thank you for sharing your time with us. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your gossip, your analysis, uh, our web chats. I do mine on Mondays, and Mr. Oli K does his on Wednesdays, and Graham Spears does one as well if you're into the Scottish football. And you can also write to us at gamepodcast at timesonline.co.uk. That's gamepodcast at timesonline.co.uk. I'll catch you all next Monday. Ta-ta. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.